Good morning. Yeah, we're going to try that again. Come on. Good morning. All right. Great to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Have you ever been in this situation? You're having a meal with someone. You look over as they're talking. And then you see this. Anyone? Maybe it was you. You're just talking, talking, talking. And now, if you're in this situation, you have a few choices, right? One is you could just choose to ignore it, right? It gets a little challenging. Or there's kind of some of us who are hopeful. So you just wait and hope that as they chew, that the other food will touch it and move and dislodge this particle so it'll no longer be there. Or some of us, weirdos, we just stare. You're like, uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. But if you're like me, I don't know if you're like this. I have to tell the person. <laughs> I don't care how important the subject matter is. I won't be able to focus on a word they are saying, so I have to literally be like, hey, hey, hey. Alma, right here. Take it out. Because it's going to bother me. As much as maybe I want to talk to you about something else, there's something that I need to address. It's an urgent matter. Now, it's a silly illustration, but this is where we find Jude. He's in a similar situation, obviously more serious. He wants to talk to them about common salvation. Meaning he just wants to talk to them and say, you know what, that Jesus thing is amazing that we are saved by grace and share in the joy of that, right? That's what he wants to do. But there is an urgent matter that needs to be addressed that bothers him to the core. Well, what is that issue? Well, read with me. In verse 3 and 4, he starts to say this. Beloved, talking to the church of God, he says, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary. I needed to say something. To write appealing to you to what? To contend for the faith. Gospel, faith, church, it's at stake. We need to fight for it. And it's worth fighting for. That was once for all delivered to the saints. First four, he's going to explain exactly what the problem is. Why do we need to contend for it? What's the big issue? Well, it says this. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So let me explain what's happening. In the church, there is worldliness. There are people that have come in who claim to be Christians, who claim to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So on Sunday, they do the church thing. Every other day, they participate in all sorts of sexual orgies and all sorts of pagan festivals. Not only that, this is kind of the bigger issue. There are actual, they call them false teachers in the church, actually telling church people that are doing this that it's okay. Oh, it's fine. 
God loves you. So now you, there's no difference between a Christian and those that do not attend church. The reason why this is happening is because the church is espousing and being influenced by worldly ideas, teachings, and values. It's interesting how it works that way. A lot of times worldliness happens because we, what, get influenced by its teachings and we start instilling its values into us, right? That's why it's important that our minds, that we love the Lord our God with our minds, that we are transformed, what, by the renewing of our minds. And so we need to be careful what sort of teachings come into the church, what sort of teachings that you or values you allow into your mind. At that time, now obviously it's different for us, the current kind of value system and teaching that was very prevalent and that was kind of seeping into the church was this term called Gnosticism, okay? Now you're like, what? Oh, fancy words, right? Yeah, well, let me explain to you. I'm kind of a graph person. So if you take a look here, it's really simple actually. Kind of you break it down to the bare bones. What it is is the Gnostics, they believe that everything spiritual is from God and it's so, it's good. While everything that is physical, that can be sensed, touched, seen, that it is secular and bad. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, the application that was happening from this was this. You come to church on Sunday, you do your spiritual thing and that's good. But guess what? I have a physical body. So in my daily life, I'm expected that my physical body is going to participate in evil and bad stuff. Does that make sense? So then people were saying, it's okay. Because we are created in a way where the spiritual is good, but the physical is bad. And check this out. They will say stuff like, you know what? God forgives our sins. God loves us. It's fine. Who's ever heard that before? Anyone? I hope not in this church. I should pause here. I'd like for you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them, God loves you. Can you do that, please? Don't be shy, all right? Please do that. And then I'd like for you to turn to the same neighbor, and I'd like to say, and God forgives us of all of our sins. Please do that. All right, so we're all on the same page. God loves us, and yes, we will struggle with sin until we get to heaven. So we will never perfectly obey God, but just because God forgives us and there is more grace when there is sin, right? Paul makes it very clear. We are not to abuse God's grace. That we are saved by grace, but Ephesians tells us what? That we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let me give you another verse. Titus 2.11 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We love that. Yes, praise the Lord. And what does it tell us to do? Well, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you read the whole of Scripture, even though God saves us, and yes, at the end of the day, we rely on God's grace, 
We are called to holiness. We are called to love God and pursue godliness. Amen? If you read the Bible, turn with Matthew 5. A very, you guys probably all know this. You are what? The salt of the earth. You've heard this, yes? I don't know if you know this, but I like a little participation. I don't know. If, can you notice? Did you guys get that feeling a little bit? Okay. Yes, you've heard this, right? Thank you. Thank you. I'm hoping it gets a little better as we move forward. Now, the second thing we are told is what? That we are the light of the world. Yes? Thank you. You know what it doesn't say? We are salt that is salty sometimes. We are light that likes to dabble in darkness. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. When I have weird friends around that like to do different things. There is a distinct difference between God's people and those that do not know God. That is our calling. And so when the church doesn't look that way, Jude can't help but to write a letter and say, look, wake up church. This is not how it ought to be. We are called to more. Our lives should be different. The way we do our finances, the way we treat people, the way we deal with uncertainty and doubt in difficult times, that it should look different. So Jude is looking at the situation. And what he does, he says to fight, contend for the faith. Make it look like what Christ desires. And he gives the church three things that he wants them to focus on. So this morning, that's what we're going to go into. Are you with me? All right. Thank you, 10 of you that are participating. The first thing he says, there's sin, people, worldliness, things are falling apart. Some people are lost and they're teaching that it's okay. He says, contend for the faith. How? Number one, what? Keep yourself close to God. I love this. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, hey, stop cussing. Stop drinking. Hey, you know what? Stop talking behind people's back. He doesn't talk about the outward actions and behavior modification and morality. I love this because he's going to attack the core issue, which is your inside. He wants you to be transformed in the inside so that it affects the outside. Read with me. He says this. Verse 20, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, the ESV doesn't do a good version of the translating here of the verbs because there is one main verb in that two verses. And that verb is keep. It's in the imperative form. It's, hey, there's the exclamation point. This is what I want. And how you do that is the three other verbs because they're in the participle. You're like, boring. I know, I know. Okay, I apologize. But I need you to know this to understand what he's actually saying. Jude is saying what? Stay close to God. Keep close to him. Make sure your personal walk with the Lord is good. Make sure your inner spiritual life is healthy because it starts there. He's going to mention three things. The first thing is this. 
How do you stay close to God? How do you keep in his love? Well, first thing is you, what? Build yourself up in the most holy faith. This is a general call to discipline and obedience, meaning you read God's word, you know what it is, and then you build that into your life. Any of you guys do CrossFit? Okay, there's one person. I don't know much about CrossFit, and some of it kind of weirds me out because they put a lot of Instagram stuff that I'm like, whoa. But one thing I do appreciate about CrossFitters is that they literally will transform their whole life to make this thing a part of their life, yes? Okay. But one thing I've noticed is that they work up and build up to a certain weight. Is that true, John? Thank you. The one CrossFitter, he agrees with me. So he, John's not going to go and all of a sudden pull out like 1,000 pounds and be like, yo, let's get this. No, you work towards it. Same thing as running. You can't just run a marathon. Right? I had a friend who didn't train and he ran the marathon. Guess what happened? He finished. Did you know that? He broke his foot. I'm not even kidding. It broke. Literally because his body was not used to it. In the same way here is literally saying, you know, it's kind of similar to kind of 1 Corinthians 9.27 where Paul is saying, I discipline my body or I beat my body, make it my slave. You're trying to build these disciplines into your life slowly, right? But how do you do that? Well, you stay and you keep in the love of God by being in God's word and you obeying what it says. Number two, you want to what? Pray in the Holy Spirit. If you're too busy to pray, I want to recommend a book for you. It's by a pastor named Bill Hybels. You know what the title of the book is? Too Busy Not to Pray. Okay? And his main thrust in that book is this. If I'm busier than I was last year, that means I have more responsibility this year. So if I have more things that I'm responsible over, I need more of God to work in those responsibilities. So I need to pray more. Yes? See, when you don't pray... A lot of times, you're not saying this right in his face, but what you're essentially saying is, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do it on my own. And you're literally forgetting God in your spiritual walk. Uh, There's a quote by Abraham Lincoln. This was uh, when he was kind of setting a day, proclaiming the National Fast Day on March 30th, 1863. This is what he says about America. He says this, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. He's talking about America, 1863. Imagine what he would say if he looked at our lives today. Sometimes, and I'm not saying this is all of us, but we have so much going on that you might instinctively think that this is what I have created. I did this, so I don't need God. Why pray when I'm smart enough? Do not forget God. 
You know, one of the cool things about prayer is not so much that it necessarily means that he's going to answer, even though God will answer. But you know, one of the coolest things is that it'll change you because it'll keep you close to God. Did you know that? So we stay close to the Lord in prayer. The third thing, it says to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I really believe that one of the greatest disciplines that you can work on in your daily life is to just wait on God. I think sometimes a lot of us, uh, if you're a control freak, kind of like I am, I try to solve problems. Right? Something happens, oh, let's, oh yeah, I got to do this. I gotta, and you just get busy and you start doing it and you try to fix everything in your life without realizing sometimes God is working. You got to just... See, what this is talking about is that God is ultimately going to come. So in the end, he's going to come back for us. So our hope is in him. And so we don't have to necessarily worry so much. Let's just wait on the Lord to work. So when you wait on him, you think about the Lord. You meditate upon him. And you allow your soul to rest in him. And in that way, you keep yourself love of God. I really believe if you do that more, you will have less stress in your life. Not so much that the circumstances will change. Sometimes we are so overly consumed with just what do I need to take care of? What are the lists? And you just go crazy without just sitting there and saying, God, you are in control. I am your son and daughter. I will wait. This is not a call to laziness. Like you can't go home and say, mom, Pastor Jen told me to wait. Clean your room. Wait on the Lord. It's not that. It's not what we're talking about. You're responsible. You continue to do what you need to do in your daily life. But at the end of the day, when you sit and say, look, I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen. My hope is in you. That's a challenge in our day, isn't it? But as you wait, you realize God's going to come back for me. He knows. He knows my situation. I'm going to sit and wait on These are all continuous aspects, right? If you read kind of the Greek, there's this continuous aspect of keep being in the love of God. Keep praying. So there's this kind of this idea that it's kind of this long journey. Did you know that? That spiritual growth takes time. Uh, let me make this clear. Gathering information about, about God is instant. Spiritual growth takes time. You know what I find kind of, I shouldn't say funny, but it's interesting that people get frustrated when they know it's going to be slow, but they get frustrated anyways. Have you ever experienced this? Like you're driving on the five freeway, it's 5 p.m., and then you get this. You're like, what the heck? And then if you're the friend sitting next to him, you're like, well, this is what happens at 5 p.m. on the five freeway every day. You don't get frustrated about that. You expect it to be slow, right? Or this one really cracks me up. Have you ever gone out to eat at a really popular restaurant Friday night, 7.30 p.m.? Yes? And then you show up and you're like, you see people outside, you're like, what is going on? Is everyone in Brea here? And then you've done this, right? You send the one guy in. You know what I'm talking about? 
They go check how long the wait is. There's like a thousand people outside. Just go check. Maybe it's five minutes. Go in. They go in. They come back out. 45 minutes. What? And then this one really kills me. Let's go to that one. It's popular too, but maybe there'll be no wait. I'm going to say something to you. Don't get frustrated in your spiritual growth. It's a journey. Did you know that? God needs to work in you. It takes time. You know, it's like the person that's like, I went to two DBSs and my life's not changed. You're like, whoa, two, huh? You spend 25 years of your life living your own way, establishing this worldview that is apart from God. You went to two Bible studies and you're not changed. Surprising. No. See, this is the one part I think in, in an instant culture that we live in. One of the things that I want our church to get comfortable with is that it's a lifetime of journeying with the Lord. You know, I think sometimes we think, oh, I don't want to do this quiet time thing because I'm, nothing's happening in my life. Don't give up so soon. You need to consistently journey with the Lord. And you know, if you're a parent, you know this. You look at your kid one day and you're like, wow, he's grown. You don't notice the kind of the little, little, little changes, but all of a sudden one day you look back and you say, wow, my daughter is like a lot taller than I remember. I promise you that that's kind of a spiritual journey. And sometimes you won't even notice. And one person maybe hasn't seen you in a while, they'll come and they'll be like, whoa, you've changed a lot. I can't believe how God has been working in you. This is a personal story from my own life. Uh, you know, when I was in college, when I decided to become a pastor, I didn't get like, oh, you're going to be a good pastor. I got a lot of, what? John's going to be a pastor? Uh, I don't know what kind of pastor he's going to be. I'm not going to that church. Because my life at that point was lived for myself, very selfish, prideful, And then some of those friends see me now, and it's not something like, it's like I'm like drastically different. I can't even tell. But they're like, wow, yeah, I can see that God has worked on you. And I needed him to. But you see, the part of it that I need to do is to just stay the course and to stay with him. So we need to keep at it. The second thing, as we are strengthened in our walk, as you stay close to the Lord, the second thing as we contend for the faith that we need to do as a church is to help those that are struggling around us. Now, check this out. You cannot help someone if you are really struggling. If you are spiritually dead, it's hard to help. Uh, Robert, missionary pastor, you gotta take care of yourself to make sure your spiritual life is good before you can go out and just start trying to and it will be a lot easier if you're spiritually strengthened. It says this, the word of God, verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He mentions three types of people here. He says doubters. These are kind of the people that are struggling. They're being influenced by the teachers. And they're one foot in the world, one foot in the church. The second one, he says, those in the fire or headed to it, right? These are the people literally not saved. They maybe come out to church. They're fully in all sorts of crazy sins. And the third, it talks about those who are stained by the flesh. He's pretty much referring to the false teachers, those that are leading people away. 
And to all three categories, he says to have mercy to save them. He doesn't say kick them out of church. He doesn't say judge them. Okay, he says have mercy on them. Help them along. This is a cool thing. Um, God restores people. And he can do it on his own. But many times, a lot of the times, he uses us. This is where 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And then what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Isn't that cool? This gospel, this love project that God started, he entrusts it to us. And he asks us to take it to those around us. And there are going to be people, even here in the church, that maybe are struggling with their faith. You strengthen yourself and you go out and you show mercy and you help them along. You reach out. If you look at verse 23, I like what he says, because he says, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And what he's stating there is this, that you hate the sin, and so you go and you show mercy by bringing them along, but you don't accept the sin. Does that make sense? I think sometimes you think by loving someone, you just kind of let them be. That's not always true. Some people, you have to be patient with them, but you tell them, hey, I love you. I don't love what you're doing, so I want to say something to you to remind you that you need to come back to the Lord, right? So that ultimately, what? That they would be reconciled to God because that is the ministry that is entrusted to us. So as we strengthen ourselves, we go out and we help those that are around us. I'm hoping that as, as I'm saying this, some Faces pop up in your mind, in your life. People that you know, that maybe that have walked away from the faith. They haven't been to church in a long time. But you are in their life. I hope that you would be able to go, right? Even to like invite them to Easter. Ask them how their spiritual life is going. And to show mercy. And to love. The third thing is this that we would keep trusting in God who is able. Jude ends with this beautiful benediction or doxology. He says this in verse 24, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Jude is saying, look, I have to worship God. Even when the church looks a certain way and it's a little messy, maybe some people are not getting it, but at the end of the day, when I look at God, I have to worship him, right? You know, what's cool about this passage, because the two things that he's told us to do is what? As the church, keep close to the Lord, and then what? Show mercy to those that are struggling. And then what's found in this passage is this, is that God was already in his sovereignty and almightiness, what? He's going to keep us, be able to present us, and then he has already beautifully shown mercy to us, and he's already saved us. So he has modeled and given us this already. So now we are to go and share that. 
Isn't that beautiful? And so a lot of times, I think, when you look at just church, when you look at just people, you can get discouraged. And what Jude does is even though the church is maybe a little messy, he's looking finally at God and saying, you know what? At the end of the day, he's worthy of worship because he's able to do all things. He will write all of this. He will use and raise up people for his purposes. So let's praise him at the end of the day. So we trust in a God that does that. And so this is the cool thing. If you're able to trust in a God that is able to do all of this stuff, check this out. You will more easily spend your valuable time praying, Bible study, because you will realize he's trustworthy. So if I just do it his way, it'll work out. But see, if you don't trust that, you're going to daily struggle with, ah, is this really worth my time? So Jude ends with this beautiful, worshipful doxology by saying, look, he's able and he's worthy of all of our worship. As we close this morning, I wanted to just share one quote from one of my favorite authors. This A.W. Tozer, he says this, you go to church once a week and nobody pays attention, meaning no one realizes the difference in your life. Worship God seven days a week. And you will become strange to the world, people around us. My prayer for you is that we would all be strange. Not just weird personalities, but that people will look at you and be like, man, you know what, Yvette, she's different. Something about her, she lives life differently. Chris, there's something about his faith. He's going through such a difficult time, and he's walking with joy. Let's keep in the love of God. Contend for the faith. Help those that are around us. Ultimately, look to Christ and to know that he is able and to do it his way. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we want to just thank you that you are a God that is able to keep and to present us when all this is done before the loving Father because we will be covered in the blood of Christ and that you will look to all of us and to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But along the way, God, we want to be people that pursue holiness, pursue you to invest time in kingdom things. And just to be honest, God, that's not easy that we do have distractions in our lives. There are things that at the moment seem so urgent and more of a priority. God, make us strange. God, make us people that are distinct and different from those that don't know you. That would be the salt and the light, the preserving agent and the light of God's love wherever we go. Help us in this. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we'll have a time of offering as the worship team leads us in the song.